Welcome to The Real Talk, a calm place for mad conversations. I'm your host, Leon Apo, a transformation coach, creative writer, eternal optimist and curious soul. Get ready for some real conversations. And you might want to cover your children's ears because there is no censoring in my podcast. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to introduce you. Isaiah McKimmy, my dear friend, and she's a couples therapist, sexologist, sex therapist, and tantra teacher, and she's all about creating loving relationships, deep intimacy, and wholehearted sex. And she's one of the most qualified sex and relationship experts in Australia, and also is very passionate about sex education and loves helping women getting in touch with their sensuality and feel confident about sex and is also hosting a podcast wholehearted love life intimacy podcast and is also a regular sex advice columnist in on news.com.au so so many things actually welcome Isaiah thank you so much love it's so great to be talking to you like this Absolutely. And Isaiah is actually, you are from Melbourne, right? But you are living in India now. And we're going to talk all about her journey because yes, everybody wants to know more about sex and all these tricks and tips. But you know what? We'll definitely talk about sex, but I want to know more about your own personal journey because you are like living embodiment of following your truth, following your bliss. That's how I feel. Oh, I know, and I know we started to touch on this um, before the call. Gosh, and I, I, you know, I was saying to you that my life feels so surreal right now because I never imagined that this is the way that I would be living my life. Um, And now all the things that I kind of had planned and all these ideas I had for my life they have just kind of fallen away and I'm finding more about what's really important to me. But I had this really interesting realization last night Um, because even though I'm living in India at the moment, I'm actually in Sri Lanka right now. I needed to head away for a week um, for visa reasons. And it, yeah, so it also happened to be my birthday. Um, and so I, there's this beautiful organic farm, like villa that I stay at uh, when I visit Sri Lanka. And I just love it so much because it's so peaceful. But I was reflecting on my birthday, you know, it was my 36th birthday. And I thought, wow, you know, today. here I am just on this organic farm. And it, today, actually two days ago. Oh my two God, days happy ago, birthday. But I was, I was still, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> Uh, but I, so I was thinking last night that actually 10 years ago, I also spent my birthday on an organic farm, but it was such a different experience. I, um, I was in Costa Rica for my 26th birthday and I was partway through 12 months of traveling around, uh, around Costa Rica, but between the US and Costa Rica. I had just come out of, uh, at that point, really I would say the hardest year that I have ever had in my life. Um, I had, um, my first business had just failed. I wanted to sell organic healthy food at festivals and that had had failed. I had um, 
fallen pregnant to someone who wasn't right for me and decided to terminate that pregnancy. And then the relationship had broken up as well. But I think the, the thing that was most challenging in all of that for me was feeling like life or the universe or the divine or God, whatever name we want to give to it, had let me down and had betrayed me. And I felt like I had just no idea of what to do and that I couldn't trust my intuition, uh, that there was kind of no hope about where things would, would go for me. And I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I had um, studied environment in my first degree and then I'd done this business and it hadn't worked out. And I was, I was practicing and teaching Tantra, but this was 15, well, 10 years ago now. And Tantra wasn't as popular as it is today. I really never thought it could be a career for me. And I ended up when everything had kind of just fallen apart um, and, you know, and the relationship had then ended and which meant I had nowhere to live as well. I just, something clicked, something happened inside of me. And I was like, I'm going traveling. And I went to the US to do some more studies of Tantra because really it was the only thing in my life that was bringing me any kind of joy at that point. And that started then this incredible 12 months of learning more Tantra, learning about sexuality, deepening in my spiritual practice. Um, and that ultimately was the year that I decided and realized that this is what I wanted to do. This is how I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people with their sex lives. I wanted to help people with intimacy. I wanted to help them be happier. And I knew that this was a really powerful way that I could do it. And when I think back to, my God, everything had fallen apart 10 years ago. I had no plan. I had no idea. Um, I was still very much healing and recovering. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear the motorbike outside. That's something so fast. Uh, and I think to where I am now, just two, like 10 years later, I've, you know, I finished two master's degrees. I finished a postgraduate diploma. I went and studied at the Institute for the Advanced Studies of Human Sexuality. I've become like one of the um, kind of go-to experts in Australia for sex and relationships. Um, I write a regular advice column where people are coming to me for advice and and I have this incredible life where I've lived in Sydney, where I've lived in Melbourne, where I've spent time with my family. And just now I've spent the last nine months living in an ashram with my guru, still doing the work that I love. Uh, and, and just when I kind of think of everything that's happened just in 10 years and where I am now and and how different my life is and how different my outlook is. I'm, I'm just really blown away by it. And I, I can't say that I ever planned this. Like, I, I would love to take credit for my life, but I feel like there's a way that I can't. It has really just been about putting one step in front of another and getting it wrong sometimes, but doing the best I could in every moment and doing what felt right, you know, even if it doesn't make sense. If someone had told me a year ago or two years ago, that I would go and live in an ashram for nine months. I would just have said that that is the craziest idea. Mm. But it has, it has felt so right for me. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm still, like, I'm still kind of speechless, like describing my own life at the moment. 
Yes, I can. So that's the thing. It's very easy for us, you know, to, I always say post on Instagram or social media, those inspirational quotes, follow your bliss, you know, you know, step out of your comfort zone. But I can only imagine what kind of courage it took you to follow your intuition, you know, starting even from that, like you always say about that shy girl that you were now being one of the leading experts in sexology in Australia and sexuality. Um, and yeah, now taking it even on a di different level, living in ashram while doing this. So, wow, like how the hell did it happen? <laughs> I think when I, when I really think about it, it's, um, it's my dedication to my spiritual practice has, has really always been the driver for me and you know part of my spiritual practice is helping people love more you know mm -hmm. I, I believe yep. love is one of the greatest spiritual lessons and teachers and what I want to do with my work is to help people love more to love themselves more to love their partners more and then have that love blow out into the world so with that as my practice that has is really what has guided me and through all the challenges of nine months living in an ashram and as amazing and blissful as it is, it's also been one of the, one of the most challenging things that I've ever done. Um, it's that, it's really that commitment, that reminder of what's important to me that keeps me going. And that ultimately I think I have this belief that life really does bring us what we need definitely not always what we want but it's always working for our highest good to teach us lessons to help our soul evolve and when i trust that there is nowhere else that i would want to be aside from in an ashram in india where i'm getting to live it day. so tell us what is one of your most usual days how does that look like? I wish that I could tell you that there was a usual day. I've really struggled to, um, to get a routine in an ashram, that, which sounds ridiculous, but every day there is something different on. There are often different ceremonies that are on. I often have different requirements around work. Because of the time difference between Australia, I sometimes have calls at four in the morning or start work at like six or seven a.m. in the morning so I often have to kind of adjust my day depending on the timeline but a large part of my week there is really just doing my work writing articles making my own podcast seeing my clients I see all my clients on Skype video coaching so that takes up quite a considerable amount of my time and then the time that I'm not doing that, um, you know, there's some chai breaks in the middle. I, I really have to, to admit that. But I'm also then spending time um, at different ceremonies that happen um, at the temple that the ashram is connected to. So they're Hindu ceremonies, that are fire ceremonies, that are water ceremonies. Um, I'm walking around the temple in like a contemplative walk um, I sometimes feel like that that's my life. It's like work, eat, temple, sleep, chai, work. Like that that's really what my life is at the moment. Um, but, you know, it is such an amazing way to live. Um, if I'm not working, you know, I am in, in that deep contemplation or I'm doing service at the temple. And 
those things that used to be important to me just are not anymore. Like I, there is really so little from the outside world that I miss, um, except for the occasional French pastry. But everything else, I'm <laughs> yes. just like, you know, I can, I can actually live really simply and be happy. <laughs> That's true. When I saw I was living in Sydney, we always uh, met up at the French bakery. So yes, yes, yes. You know, I can only, so I have been in India four years ago and I went to Ashram and I had a really beautiful, I really remember, I will remember this day for the rest of my life. I just really, I've never felt so connected to myself, to the universe, to others. And I was writing down to my notebook things I want to call into my life. And it's, it is freaking crazy how quickly it all manifested. I still have that notebook with me. And I'm, every now and then I'm reading and I'm like, yes, magic does exist. But obviously you living there, like what are, you are saying that it can be very challenging, right? So what are the main challenges? What are some of the main challenges that you are facing while living there? <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me, I have been... I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to use the word. I have been in control say freak <laughs> my life. <laughs> I have like had my life planned. I've been in control of my food. I, you know, I had to work so hard. And when I was running my business and studying, you know, a master's at the same time, I, you know, I had to be so organized. So everything was scheduled and planned ahead. And like India just doesn't work like that. As much as I try it's like the more I try, the less it works. And so I've had to learn to just let go of my control and all of these ideas that I've had and my ideas about how things should be and how other people should be. It's a very humbling experience um, because the culture is so different and I can go in with all of my judgments about well, you know, what these Indian people should do, if they really want to make things better, they basically, like my judgment was, well, they should do it like, like I do and, and the way that I'm used to things being done in Australia. And that judgment only ever brought me more pain and more suffering. So I have had to let go of all of these ideas that I have had. I've had to let go of my control about things. Um, and that, that, that has been enormously challenging. You know, I, um, I don't, I, you know, I, I haven't been able to cook for myself um, until That's recently. Great. <laughs> I, kind of, except I hate the food that they serve there. And it's like all of the things that I shouldn't eat that are really bad for my skin, like spicy food and oily food. And so like my skin has broken out and my body has felt out of balance and there's no vegetables. And I'm like, oh my God, I just, I just have to, just have to deal with this. And, and now I have actually like a rice cooker in my room and that's, that's how I cook my meals. I put rice and lentils into like one rice cooker with some spices and that's it. That's my lunch and dinner. Um, which is like for someone who was all about, you know, the food and the deliciousness and eating the right things, that has been a huge act of surrender uh, within, its, within itself. It has, though, what I'll, what I'll say, because I, I know we're going to talk about um, my work somewhat as well. It has been a really interesting transformation um, for me around my work because 
living in an ashram, um, you know, I always actually need to be covered, like my shoulders need to be covered and down to my ankles. I, I, so I wear a sari yes. every day. I wear very traditional clothes. And right now people can't and, see, but that's exactly what you're wearing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like someone asked me today, like, oh, you wear a sari, like even when you see clients. I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't actually even expect myself to be in India for so long. So I have no other clothes. I have like two dresses and, you know, there's seven days in a week. Yes. So I end up wearing saris every day. But I really had this these kind of questions around my work and could I do my work from an ashram and how important is sexuality to the whole thing anyway is this really the best way to help people maybe should I be teaching meditation instead of sex like is, is that like the higher path <laughs> and <laughs> I know all these all these all the ways your mind starts to play tricks on you when you you know really start doing that internal work what I have really come to have is so much more clarity about what I'm doing and life for having had this time. I, you know, ultimately I've, I've had to realise that sexuality is not the most important thing. And my, I mean, I have not, I'm going to get really personal now, but yes, I am, um, you know, I haven't really like, I mean, this is the longest I've been without sex in my adult life. Um, and even like masturbation happens so rarely now because it's just so, it's just really not like, it's not even a part of the atmosphere there. But that was exactly I my question. Really... Sorry, there's a little delay. I think that was exactly what I was about to ask. How about dating and like, how does that work in Ashram? But I'm glad you're already going there. So keep on talking. <laughs> yeah, well, there's been no dating or no, um, like, it's like it's so kind of foreign to me, at least for right now. Um, but I, I've really come to see, I think, how my choice right now not to express my sexuality in an outward way has really been a choice and an evolution and not something that I necessarily think will be the same way forever. And I think that that's a really, really different experience to a lot of the women that I work with who feel an enormous amount of shame and fear around their sexuality or feel like they hold themselves back because they don't have the information or tools to know how to really like let go and how to really enjoy themselves. And I think one of the things that, that has become really clear to me living in the ashram is that our sense of freedom and our expression and us doing what's right for us is is still really important we're doing it in a really mindful way and so i actually see my work as still so helpful and so important because it stops people holding themselves back it helps people let go of that fear and shame and ultimately it still can deepen intimacy in a relationship when we have this way of, of connecting with our partner. So I've become so much more clearer on, on what I'm sharing around that, even though that for me right now, the way I'm expressing my sexuality is very, very different mm. to the way I was expressing it five or 10 years ago. And I love it. I love it so much. And I really think like a lot of people needed to hear that right now, because what I feel 
very big part of our us following our truth, us following our path. It's really about accepting that it can change. You know, there was this Isaiah maybe who was so experimental, had to learn, had to try, and that was absolutely perfect. But life is always changing. And it's like being fluid and going with the flow and not actually not, not actually judging yourself. Like there are obviously like couples, right? Times when you have sex, like three times a day, but then you don't have any sex. And maybe that's fine. Maybe it doesn't mean that you are drifting apart. And I think it's exactly in our life as well. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I love that you said that. All of those rules that we put on ourselves, you know, I think life is not black and white and we are constantly changing. So what other, what are actually, you talked about the challenges, but how has it changed you? I mean, obviously we could talk hours, <laughs> hours and hours about it. But what are some of the biggest things that you feel have really changed you? Of course, you just mentioned your work and how you see sexuality. And how else, mm. how else has it changed you? What are some of the benefits? I feel like it has solidified in, in such a more meaningful way so many of the lessons that I had perhaps heard or thought I knew, but India has like really tested me mm. on all of them. A really big one for me is this realization that happiness doesn't come from what we, what we have or even what we do, that our happiness comes from it's, it's from within us. It's really a state of mind. I see people with so little who are so happy, you know, and I also see people with so much who were so unhappy. I have found that some of my most powerful moments have just been those moments that I am in the temple and, you know, what I have or materially or financially actually doesn't even matter in those moments, you know, I have a one, one bedroom in an ashram, like one room where I do everything and, and I'm so happy. I've been able to be so content there. I never would have imagined that because I always had all these ideas about what I would need to have, at a, you know, at a certain age. And, and I had this kind of obsession with working really hard to get there. But in being able to just be happy, I find that life has this flow to it that I kind of cut myself off from when I'm striving and when I'm being really led by my mind and all of the things that I think I have to do. I think with that has come this trust that, um, that what I need to do or what is right to do will, will kind of happen. Um, and, and what doesn't need to be done just kind of get, gets let go of. So some, some days I have this worry, like, oh, my God, I'm not doing enough work. Like, I've got these deadlines and things coming up, but I've also got these things going on at the temple and I want to be there. Somehow, when I listen to my intuition, there are times when it, it, my intuition tells me to work and I do that and I miss out on things at the temple. Sometimes my intuition is so clear that I need to be at the temple and always then when that happens, whatever work that needs to get done, sometimes it all just, it just happens right before those deadlines. Even when I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea how I'm going to get this done. It, it just happens. So I've really been able to, to trust myself um, on that as well. I really think that is like some real, real deep level of trust that you're having. And this was exactly my 
next question. How do you really balance that business and like spiritual life? Because I feel, and even I, I still do have that as well. Like when I'm so blissed out, right? And nothing really matters. I'm almost like, I don't feel like doing anything, you know, because I'm already happy the way I am. I feel at peace. So how do you balance like also that business side of yours and getting things done and just like, you know, marketing your services, being out there, being that business person, but then also being very balanced in, in your, you know, spiritual world. So what is the, what is the secret sauce there? <laughs> so I would say for the first, maybe like six months that I was there, I never felt like I was balancing it. Like I always felt out of balance one way or another. Yes. Like, oh my God, I am so imbalanced by spending so much time like in this beautiful blissful state being at, you know, at the temple or, oh my God, I am spending my whole day working when I have this incredible opportunity to, you know, be involved in ashram life. And then eventually it kind of dawned on me that balance is really never stable. Balance is constantly in flux. And so I have to, to trust that overall there's this balance. And when I feel like I've been kind of spending too much time on one, then it just shifts back into, into okay, a little bit more time on the other. So I wish I could tell you that I'd found this way to like have this structure for my day where this much time goes to work and this much time goes to the temple. But honestly, it just is constantly in flux and I think ultimately that's what balance is life the universe it's always moving and and that balance is a much bigger picture than what we yes. can see I'm like yes 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 you know it's uh, I have um, I have written an ebook about it and I also had a talk last year where I said balance is a myth actually and I think the, yes. the problem with balance is we are still imagining that it's possible to have everything at the same time and there's this, I can't remember who said that, but there's this famous quote that everything worth fighting for takes you off balance or something along, along those lines. And I really, really sits well with me because I feel if we are constantly trying to keep everything, you know, on having that balance, it's, it's impossible. So just let go of that, right? So happy you said mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And I still ask about balance, though, because, you know, some people still believe it's possible. So who knows? Maybe you had the secret sauce, but nope, you don't. <laughs> so, but tell, tell me more. Like, it's interesting how we have had those conversations before and we talked more about sex and Tantra. And this time I felt like, yeah, I want to talk about your life in India, you know, because I feel you have changed so much. And still, let's go back a little bit to Tantra as well. I feel a lot of, yes. yeah. So how has living in India also changed your belief in anything that you are offering or Tantra or those mm. teachings or has it have any impact whatsoever? I was having a conversation with a friend um, about this the other day because she was asking about Tantra and am I going to, you know, start teaching Tantra a bit more visibly again, um, even though that was like the start of my work. Um, then I, you know, I went and I became a couples therapist and a sexologist and a sex therapist and my work was kind of a little bit more clinical um, and which it, which it still really is. I think I have felt, um, you know, for a number of years, uh, quite, what is the word, uncertain 
about sharing more on Tantra because my, you know, I guess my perspective is that what we kind of know as Tantra and really look for as Tantra in the West is only such a tiny part of Tantra. Like Tantra is this incredible, vast spiritual philosophy and teaching that, that even I feel like I know such a tiny amount of after having studied it for, and practiced it for 15 years. And, and for me, it's the, the spiritual components and the um, self-awareness components are the parts that um, feel the most important to me. But the sexual components, which, you know, Tantra has so many benefits for our sex life and intimacy, are really fun and interesting and, and powerful, actually. When this is the part that I think most people think of when they think of Tantra. And that's the part that most people, uh, generally when they contact me saying, I want to learn Tantra, that is the part that they are talking about. I, my, uh, my friend actually put it really well. She said, oh, so it's like you want to give everyone the whole pie, but they are just looking for a slice of the pie. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, and so you're not letting them have a slice of the pie because you want to give them the whole pie. And I was like, wow, yeah. So I've actually been holding back on sharing a really beautiful part of Tantra, like a really beautiful slice of the pie that has so many benefits to people's lives and a part that changed my life. This is what led me down this path. This yes. is what has um, changed the lives of so many of my clients over the years. Um, but there was a way that I was holding that back. Yes, And so, you know, for me, spirituality is such a part of my life. And I think the people that are attracted to following me in my work will generally have some interest in spirituality because that's just how I am. And, and that's just how I show up. Uh, and that I can still share the, you know, majority of what I share on Tantra can still be around these sexual intimate components and I can still give people these incredible benefits um, to their lives by doing that. So actually watch, watch this space around yes, that because absolutely. I'm going to be sharing about that again. Absolutely. And this is interesting because I can, you know, you were sharing right now this, like how in India it's been like the longest time while you've been without sex and how you've seen a lot of your teaching maybe in different light, but then still coming back to where you started. I feel there's so much juiciness in you actually. Uh, since you last spoke, I can really feel that, you know, it's like that ashram life is like turning you on, you know, <laughs> like in a different way, like that radiance, you know, it's a pity people can't see you, but uh, yeah, we're definitely watching that space. Um, I guess it's also there are so many myths around Tantra and like you just say, people just know one part of it and often people just say, oh, Tantra group sex It's nothing to do with that. It's just, no. Yeah. So those people who still feel curious, right, but still afraid, what do you recommend to them? Mm. So firstly, I just want to, I guess, to give like the really brief idea of what Tantra is. Again, that it is a spiritual teaching and a spiritual philosophy, you know, and it's really a form of yoga. And so like yoga, well, there's all these kind of teachings of yoga and different components of yoga, like 
breath work and meditation that we don't necessarily do when we go to a class. We can actually do some of the really practical things from Tantra or yoga and still get the benefits of it. We do think of sex when we think of Tantra, but keep in mind that people can practice Tantra their whole lives and never have sex. Um, and that also Tantra can be done as like a personal daily practice, which it was mine that really didn't involve any kind of sexuality at all. And so I would say that when you are looking to learn more about Tantra, and there are so many courses online at the moment, so much information, you know, including resources and courses that I have, is just find the approach that works for you. It doesn't have to be all about um, jade eggs or yoni mapping or vaginal massages or steaming or, or, or using, you know, like crystal wands or any of that to be Tantra. If that feels good for you and that excites you, absolutely go ahead. But also know that there are different approaches to Tantra and it might just be about finding the one that works for you. I think the, the core kind of um, teachings that, that I really share from Tantra are about becoming embodied. So you're really starting to feel your body and connect with your body again. You're changing your outlook on sex to see it as something beautiful and potentially spiritual um, and that helps you feel alive as opposed to, you know, any of the like shameful or negative beliefs that we might have been taught about it. Um, and that actually Tantra helps us bring more pleasure and sensuality into our entire lives, not just the bedroom, which actually just changes the way that we show up in life. We can show up feeling happier and, um, and yeah, and have more pleasure in our daily lives. So for me, they are really some of the core principles, if you like, or the kind of the practical tools that Tantra teaches us. And they have an enormous benefit on our lives before we kind of get into the more like sexual components of Tantra. So that's actually really where I recommend that people, that people start. Mm. So what do you see? You have worked with so many couples and individuals and what do you see are like the biggest challenges that people are facing today when it comes to sexuality and, you know, uh, connecting, connecting with each other? Mm. So let me start by actually kind of sharing some of the, like the reasons that people come to me, um, libidos or, or desire. So one partner wants sex more than the other. Um, maybe because one of them isn't really enjoying sex um, and they feel like they're holding themselves back. It never really feels that great for them uh, because couples feel disconnected or they're arguing, they just can't seem to understand each other. Uh, for women who uh, struggle to reach orgasm or never reach orgasm, uh, and women feeling pain around sex is, is another reason. They're really the most common reasons that, that people reach out to me for. So they're looking for more connection. They're looking to feel better in themselves, more confident and empowered around sexuality and their relationships. I think a lot of these challenges come from the fact that we aren't taught skills in this area and we expect ourselves to just get it right or to just know it, but our education is 
you know, the sex education we got in school was pretty rubbish and no one ever really teaches us about no. relationships or how to communicate better. Um, and a lot of then these myths that we have about, well, this is what sex should look like or this is what a good relationship should look like, but but that's all kind of just based on, on myth. And so people end up feeling like there's something wrong with them because their relationship or their sex life doesn't measure up to that. Yes. And how about single women, single women who come to you? What are they struggling with? So single women have often, um, you know, come out of relationships, you know, a little while ago or recently, and they realize that, Again, the, the sexual component was perhaps never really there for them, not because of their partner so much, but because of themselves, where they never really felt like they could express themselves fully. Or they might feel like they've never really opened up intimately to a partner, like there's been this wall between them and the other person. And, you know, so they've never had that kind of connection that they really want. And, and the other thing is really because they've found that they've attracted the same people and made the same mistakes over and over again and, and they really want to break that cycle of, um, of unhealthy or toxic relationship that they were in. So then um, that's, that's what I would work with them on, helping them you know, understand their relationship patterns, giving them tools for more intimacy and better relationships. And again, helping them feel really comfortable and confident with their sexuality um, so that when it comes time to being with a partner, they've kind of done the work on themselves first. Yeah, very important. It definitely starts from yourself, 100%. 100%. So, Isaiah, tell us what is, you obviously already talked about, you know, what's the space you are, you know, you are bringing more tantric teachings into your work. Um, but there have been a lot of people, I'm sure, have been listening to this conversation, think, oh my God, I want this. I want to live my life, not care about what others think of me, not always follow my bliss, always follow my path. What do you tell those people? Mm. Really to trust yourself. That's what I'm, I'm going to say. Really um, start to trust yourself. Um, we so often diminish ourselves and we hide our light or we doubt ourselves and we don't need to. There is an intelligence far greater than us that is guiding our lives and that is always available to us when we open ourselves to listen. So, and the more we listen to that, the more it guides us. Mm. So connect to yourself first start listening to that inner voice and that inner guidance because when you do that and when you put that first your life then can start to in unfold in all of these you know unexpected and magical ways oh beautiful goosebumps goosebumps oh i'd love to talk to you hours and hours but I'm, I'm afraid we're going to wrap up this conversation. And what are your, actually interesting enough, usually I start the podcast and I ask, what did you dream of last night? And I didn't ask you this question. So how about you actually answer now? What did you dream of last night? <laughs> I, I spend the morning kind of actually pondering this. I dreamt of an ex-boyfriend. Oh um, <laughs> this is the theme today. <laughs> 
I know, I know. And, I, and actually, interestingly, so you've just reminded me of it. It was like looking at the ways, I think what this dream was trying to tell me is the ways that I, the ways that I haven't done exactly what I shared then, the way that I doubted myself and so settled in these relationships that weren't right, that tried to talk myself into things that maybe looked good on paper or seemed like they were good enough or that I should just settle for. Uh, and ultimately, they were never right, actually. That only ever brought me more pain. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. And we can't wait to hear from you and all the new teachings coming our way. Yes, I'm, I'm so excited to share. So if anyone does want to hear any more on Tantra, uh, you know, reach out to me or on couples therapy or sexology. Please um, reach out to me. I'm uh, a siamakimi.sexologist on Instagram. I have loads of free resources uh, on my site about Tantra, about desire, about orgasms, about connection. Uh, and I have a podcast as well, Wholehearted Love Life and Intimacy. It's just beautiful. I will add all those links as well for people to check it out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, love. Thank you for listening. If you love this episode, please leave me a review or share it with your friends. It will mean the world to me. For more tips and ideas on keeping it real, visit my website on liaunapu.com or follow me on Insta at liaunapu, L-Y-A-U-N-A-P-U. See you next time.